yeah, it'll be good. Let's clap it off. All right. Ready? Yep. One, two, three. Welcome back, everybody, to the most awesome and brand and a sports podcast coming at you as we always do. And we have a dynamite episode 144 for your eardrums. Guys, please do us a favor. Subscribe. Leave five stars. Tell a friend. Shoot us an email at mabsportspodcast at gmail.com. I am Brandon. With me, as always, shaking off that trip to fan. Most awesome. Oh, I'm yeah. a I'm a I'm I'm a trip to fan of yours, Brandana, with those oh! intros. Look at that. Look at that, my friend. That's actually that's pretty nice. Now I'm jealous of that. Well <laughs> done. You can save that for next year. You can put that. <laughs> that's a it. that's a le- that's an intro leftover. Put in the Tupperware, yeah, seal it up, <laughs> put it in the back. Yeah. Warm it up. Uh how you doing, brother? Good, man. How about you? You're looking good. You're looking Thanks, clean. Buddy. Yeah, I mean, I think the benefit of doing a Sunday pot is like there's no way Brandon can be 12 drinks deep if we record like on a Sunday morning. That's I know right. it's crazy, but that's where we're at. We don't, uh, we rarely do the Sunday early afternoon. That's right. Yeah. Cause usually we want to get the full NFL slate underneath our, or as much as much as possible under our belts um, before we dig deep into the, the upcoming weeks. Whereas we, we bring the hottest, freshest pod that's to right. you, ladies and gentlemen, but we still got something. It's going to be a week 12 of chaos in the NFL, but you know, we're yes. still going to talk a little bit of that NFL. We got ripped from the headlines. We're doing the coaching shake ups We're going to mm. hit the inbox. Got four there. Going to Neapolitan showdown. Top three books. That's right. <laughs> mm, couple of uh, nerdy podcasters. Yeah, me, uh, just my uh, spectacles uh, here. Mm, I do read in the gambling corner. We're going to talk uh, NCAA championship odds. That's right. We're tipping mm. off. We started on Wednesday. Uh, then we're going to finish as we always do with the MVP of the week. Ladies and gentlemen, you're our power. It starts now. Extra, extra, read all about it. I'm talking front page story all over the world. It shook up men, women, boys, and girls. The headlines read, if you want to be rich, then you better make sure that you got your shit. Oh, come on. All right, bro. Um, we're ripping the headlines coaching shake ups specifically in the nfl why are we talking about that this week because ding 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 matt patricia is dead for the lions finally, finally. Ding, fucking dog <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah. you excited about this or just bad news uh no i'm happy about it it's uh, obviously if you've listened to this long enough i think i've been you know uh, beside myself with the the coaching of the Detroit Lions also too they got rid of Bob Quinn the GM which is a nice double dip Bob Quinn famously fired uh Jim Caldwell after successful seasons winning seasons because he wanted to make that next push and then brought in his homie Matt Patricia and uh yeah you know shittiness ensued yeah, I think the weird thing with Matt Patricia, like, came in as a defensive dude, right? And it yeah. was almost like, I mean, it's not like their offense were world beaters, but I mean, that defense to have the reputation of like that kind of being your thing, like, didn't see it, didn't really see that ever come together. Never saw it. And and I think a lot of, if you were to, to pull some Patriots, like, fans, you know, the, he was the defensive coordinator that uh, allowed, you know, uh, the Eagles score like 40 some odd points in the Super Bowl. You know what I mean? And like, I think he was slipping and I think it was more than like, okay, yeah, no, no worries. You can, you can leave and take that head coaching job, Patricia. Uh, Cause I think he was slipping a little bit in, in new England. Okay. So I think before we jump on 
you know, who likely replacements and what makes sense. Let's take a look across the league real fast and see other coaches that could be on the hot seat. Yeah. And obviously we, you know, Dan Quinn, the Falcons, that's a position open and Bill O'Brien. So there's three um, that have been shit canned so far. I think typically Brandana, there's usually about anywhere from five to seven coaches usually annually get fired. That feels year. right. Yeah. I try, to, I try to look it up, but that, uh, that seems to be right. Kind of what yeah. the so yeah, like we said, uh, Atlanta already made their move and this is uh interim coach that they have in right now. Yeah. Yeah. I forget the name. I, don't, I think it's Raheem Morris. I could yeah, be wrong right. on that. Uh, and then, and then Romeo Cornell is the interim coach for Houston for the Texans. Um, most likely to least likely, or is that how you want to go? Uh, yeah, go most likely to least likely. Okay, like, so I got my my just like take your marching papers. Like this trip is over. Yes, I think I think we're all looking at the the Jets. Adam Gase, zero and ten this season. Uh, it's only his his second season. Yeah, they went seven and nine last year. They started off one and seven. Um, has totally lost the locker room, gotten into fights with big marquee players, uh, Jamal Adams, Le'Veon Bell, fought with the the GM that he got hired in under, uh, and then Joe Douglas came in behind him. Um, one talk about you know a guy touted for his specialty. This is an offensive guy, a quarterback guru, under you know Manning and a few other guys. Do put up some good stuff, but. Uh, uh, hasn't developed it. They have one of the worst offenses in the NFL. And uh, the cupboard is pretty barren for this New York Jets team. Yeah, so how much of this blame is also like, Gase, obviously, I think even when the hire was happening, everybody that just knew a little bit about football was just like, wow, there's it just seemed uh, so many more qualified people to get, you know, their first shot as opposed to Gase getting the second shot. Yeah, exactly. And and he he flamed out in the, in the Dolphins and really kind of tank them and, and really got a real, I don't know if prima donna is the right word, but just somebody who was like, I don't know if you're, you're not that good yet at having as big of an ego as you do. Uh, and so you haven't earned it, you know what I mean? And, and, and that's, and that's, yeah, Gase. And that's one of those things I think we started brewing in Miami and then clearly manifested itself in, in, in the, in the Jets. Okay, so let's talk a little bit. I know this is a coaching segment, but just for the Jets' ineptitude, is it time for them to move on from uh, Darnold also? I would think so, yeah, given the the top-end talent in this NFL draft. Um, you know, Trevor Lawrence is an upgrade on Darnold. Um, you could move on from him. You could try and pick something up the way that the, you know, the Cardinals were able to get a little something for uh, um, uh, Rosen. Right. Yeah. And so you could you could you could move on and, and get a little bit of uh, something for him. Um, he's I think he's you know a decent qu- quarterback. I don't think he's going to be worthy of like a a top three selection, but I think Trevor Lawrence is. And I think even Justin Fields from Ohio State, even though he hasn't he didn't play great two weeks ago, um, would be an improved uh, uh, upgrade from um, from Darnold. That'll be good to see. Okay. Uh, another coach that you have, do you have a couple more that you're automatic? Oh, yeah. pink, pink oh, yeah. uh, I think in Jacksonville, we're looking at Doug Marone getting the, the old heave ho three straight losing seasons. Um, he is 23 and 37 overall as a head coach. He just had that 2017 where they, you know, had that deep playoff run, but that roster is completely turned over. Um, and I think this is a perfect opportunity, especially with them being one and nine, uh, to kind of bring in new fresh blood into that team. They've got a good young core. 
$84 million in cap space next year so they can make some moves and, and finding that right coach to, to maybe mentor a young quarterback, kind of that 1A, 1B of Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, um, and then see if they can, uh, you know, move on and build around a, a young core offensively and then bring in some, some, uh, some other defensive talent to help them out. You know, it's crazy. I wanted to save this stat, but maybe we'll go for it now. Um, how many coaches would you guess that are active right now, not kind of the interims, but active, mm-hmm. had, were hired before 2016? Ooh. Belichick, Tomlin, Harbaugh. Mm-hmm. Pete Carroll. Yep. So that's four. Uh, Andy Reid, five. Doug Peterson six maybe. Uh, Peterson was the next year. It was the next year, man. Um, yeah, so maybe five, six. I don't think there's that many. That's a great stat. Uh, it's not. Yeah, there's seven. Because the only you missed um, Sean Payton. And oh, then, you're right. Of course. Uh, boy, Mike Zimmer. Oh. Is, um, six out of seven of these guys have something in common. What's that? And one guy Super Bowl rings. Except for Zemo. <laughs> yes. He's, on he, he's he's on my uh my my warm seat. My I warm was gonna seat. I was gonna ask you, yeah, I put that there. Uh okay, so anybody uh automatically outs? You have any more left on there? Uh, oh uh I don't know automatically outs. Yeah, you can but... start taking so those those are strong. Now just do like percentage, like you know, seventy percent chance that this guy moves on or like wouldn't shock me. Yeah, it wouldn't shock me if Anthony Lynn, we talked about him a couple of weeks ago. He's 500 as of right now, but two straight losing seasons uh, or almost two straight losing seasons. There's three and seven right now. Um, just kind of mangled this whole season a little bit uh, with Tyrod Taylor, Justin Herbert, and has kind of outcoached himself into being a winning coach. I would say I'd probably put it at a 50-50 shot right now. Um I think I think we might be looking at a hot seat for Matt Nagy in Chicago too, with nowhere to go. I mean, they're a 500 coach, but it's like I don't. I mean, this team is not ascending in the right direction. Yeah, I know, and that's man. It's also because that was his draft, right? He drafted. He came in the year after Ryan Pace, the GM. Now it would make sense to me if they moved on from Ryan Pace, the GM, yeah. first, but because um, he was the one that that hunkered down and made the Khalil Mack trade traded for Trubisky really accelerated their window. Um, but Trubisky has gone in the other direction and, and Matt Nagy as a guy that was supposed to offensively be creative. Their offense is pretty poor. Their defense has had to carry them through. Um, and, you know, Trubisky obviously has not uh, progressed the way that anyone hoped or wish he would as being the, the number two overall pick. Okay. So kind of break this down on the macro for some of our listeners that might not dig in so much like the, the front office stuff. Yeah. Sometimes it, does the coach take a heat for some of the GM stuff or like the coach? And I know that there's the famous like Bill Parcells, like let me shop for the groceries. Like if, I, yes. if I'm a salad or whatever, uh, are there sometimes you can kind of see that these coaches are put in losing situations just with NF GMs? Yeah. I mean, you would, and I think some coaches are, are propped up, you know, uh, Chris Ballard and, and the Colts has done a really good job. I think Frank Reich is a good coach, but I think, you know, they're, he's got good coaches around him too, that have propped him up to maybe be a little bit better than what he is. Um, Ozzie Newsom in Baltimore has been fantastic as a GM drafting and cultivating good young talent. Uh, same thing in Pittsburgh. So there's a little bit of a marriage between like, 
you know, there's only there's only been a few GM slash head coaches. You have Bill O'Brien and you have Bill Belichick. Um, there's not too many that are out there that have, um, you know, Bill Parcells, as you mentioned previously, that have total control of all of that because coaching is such a dominant, time-consuming venture that it's hard to be focused in both areas efficiently. And I think that's why we see a lot of separation. And yeah, because it's know, a little bit of GM is just like I got to look long term, like when down the line, like just build a franchise and coaches are just like, I need to win this fucking year. Keep my it, job. Exactly right. And and yes. And so and there's also got to be a little there's got to be a marriage and a little bit of, uh, you know, uh, a, you know, separation of powers to kind of keep e- either side honest a little bit. Um, you don't want one guy dominating heavily over another, you know, uh, and you, you know, you, you could make the, the case for Minnesota, right? Is, is it Zimmer or is it Rick Spielman, the GM there who, you know, famously got the, the deal for Kirk Cousins, invested a lot of money into that, you know, has, has sunk in a lot of, oh, Jerry Jones is, you know, he's not the head coach, but he's the owner. And so you've got a lot of, you know, Jerry Jones questionable deals that he's made that have kind of put the the Cowboys in the position that they are. So it is one of those things where, yeah, sometimes I think these coaches uh, take the brunt of poor decision-making by the GMs, but you know, it is, it, it is, I think a necessary element to NFL football. All right. So who's out there? Who are we going to see take over like, you know, four to seven of these jobs that become available next year. So I think the short list of best, like offensive coordinators in the NFL and defensive coordinators in the NFL are obviously Eric Bieniemy of the Chiefs. I think is Chiefs is like the number one candidate. You know, the prize of all, especially if you're going to be drafting a quarterback number one overall, would be a great opportunity to to bring in a Bieniemy who shepherded and seen the growth and progression of Pat Mahomes who obviously puts in creative offenses, you know, geared around a young quarterback. I think that that would be a, you know, and has obviously studied under Andy Reid for quite some time. That would be a, a welcoming fit for Jacksonville or for the Jets, especially because both those teams have $84 million and $83 million respectively in, uh, in, 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 uh, in cap space. Um. Robert, uh, Robert Salee of the defensive coordinator of the 49ers, another young guy, uh, really built that defense up in last year's Super Bowl run. Young, energetic guy, really fiery guy. People like him. Uh, I, I like him as an early candidate front runner for the Lions. He's a Dearborn native, which means just outside of Detroit. Um, would be an interesting hire for them. Uh, Arthur Smith, the offensive coordinator of the Titans, um, really kind of rebuilt Tannehill's uh, career a little bit in Tennessee, built around an offense very strongly around the running game, uh, found creative ways to to keep a, a one-note offense, you know, with centered around Derrick Henry, still efficient in other ways to make, uh, to make some interesting play calls to keep them alive. Um, then you've got Brian Lefwich, the offensive coordinator, former quarterback, NFL quarterback, um, He's the offensive coordinator for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So, yes, he oversaw, um, you know, uh, James Winston. He's also been there under Bruce Arians, so another offensive-minded guy. And then you've also got um, Matt 
uh, Eberfluss, the defensive coordinator for the Colts, young guy. All these guys are very young. I think that's a common thread. I think teams are looking for, you know, they don't want to go, you know, like Denver did two years ago and get Vic Fangio, who was in his 60s. I think the idea is, is to go after young, talented up-and-comers to see where they're at you know you've got your josh mcdaniels who's still very young as well too you know he's a retread lincoln riley the uh head coach for the oklahoma sooners will be a name that'll be thrown about but you know we'll, we'll see you know for another offensive guru type mind we'll see how this goes so how damaging is that to your current current franchise you're at when you leave it like you know the chiefs leaving their offensive coordinators obviously it's not a one-to-one about like sure. what what he'll bring to like the new franchise, but like, are you, are you already starting to think about that as you know that your offensive coordinator is getting buzz? Are you trying to bring up somebody internally? Are you looking for other offensive coordinators to might like pull them over to like a better system? Yeah, I think, I think initially you want to start internally and see if you can move somebody up because there's obviously positional coaches, you know, on the offense or defensive side um, that could make that next step step. I mean, part of, I think head coaching is, is, you know, finding young assistants that are very, are very uh, strong as well, too. So looking to see somebody who can take the reins, maybe a quarterback coach that can move up. Mike Kafka uh, is a QB coach in Kansas City who can make that next step up, um, you know, and, and you look at uh, in the run game you know, for the, like the 49ers, like if the, the offensive coordinator from the 49ers is to move on, you know, you've got Mike McDaniels, who's a running back coach, who's been, you know, thrown about as another young guy as well too. Um, so you look to kind of promote within first, right? And coaching is such a small circle that I think everybody kind of knows everybody and you move around so much that you have relationships with a lot of different people. So I think first and foremost, you want to build with from within that, that funnel that's already there. And then secondly, this is like, all right, well, I can pull from, you know, this guy over here because they run a similar offense. They're kind of familiar and, and so-and-so has, you know, worked with them in the past at this university or, or, you know, they were, they were interns together at, at this place. So he can kind of vouch for them a little bit too. And that's my next point also. Uh, so just from the college level, how often are we seeing guys come up from then? Like, I mean, I know we saw it with Chris Kringle, Hopper, Jen, like what is it for these guys to actually get a legit shot or are the majority of them just like, I like coaching college ball. I'm going to stick to the college game. Yeah. Matt, Matt rule for the Carolina Panthers came from Baylor temple, but started it as an intern, I think with the giants. Um, yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of, you know, I think coaches can't be too picky when they take jobs. So they, if they're, if they're out of a job or they're, they're looking like something might be moving there, you know, they want to, they want to swing from one branch to another pretty quickly. So uh, you'll see a lot of guys dip into college, maybe get a start as an intern, dip into college uh, or work their way up, find a way at a, you know, a positional coach, you know, maybe they're a defensive coordinator, uh, at the college level, and then maybe take a linebackers coach just to get into the the realm of the NFL because we're going to see a lot of we're going to see Bill O'Brien retread somewhere. We're going to see the Josh McDaniels, the Jim Schwartzes, who is a defensive coordinator for the Philadelphia Eagles. Some of these guys are going to get retread um, just because there's a there's a Nate trust factor or kind of like a known quant, uh, you know quality about these guys when they come to your facility. Like I know what this guy is, you know? Yeah. All right. So all these time teams looking for the new coach, we'll close it up here. Who has the most dramatic swing to the good next year? So I think you get away different things then. It's just like, you know, yes. who has kind of a team right now they walk into, like you said, with, uh, you know, uh, 
the enemy, like um, going and probably getting a young college quarterback that might be kind of his fit, which means maybe winning next year isn't the immediate transition. So who do you got? That's a good question. Two teams. Well, I'll give you one that is going to be a shit show, whoever fills in, and one I think it'll be good. I think, I think Houston has the best potential with the Texans' role. Um, they're 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 fourteen million dollars uh, underwater in terms of their cap space, so they're going to need a few make a few moves, which means they've got to they've got to cut Brandon Cooks. That'll save them twelve million bucks. They've got to cut uh david johnson or move him that'll that'll save them seven million dollars two million dollars in dead cap space and seven million dollars and then the big thing is is they got to look to move or get move on from or trade uh jj watt he's got 17 and a half million dollars i think it's the right thing to do to move on from him that would give them plus 22 million dollars and help supplement the first and second round choices that they gave away in that uh, deandre hopkins trade but i think if you got like a bianami or even like an Arthur Smith, a guy, you know, those two guys who are offensive focused, who are creative, that can put Deshaun Watson in a in a good position. And Deshaun Watson has been playing lights out right now. So it's a great, they have the best chance um, to make the biggest improve over this season to next. Um, and then conversely, the worst team, I don't know where you go with the Atlanta Falcons. They are going to be $25 million under are over in the cap to start. They've got $40.9 million wrapped up next year. And Matt Ryan, 22, excuse me, $23 million in Julio Jones next year. And then $20 million in Grady Jarrett. And well, most of those have significant dead cap numbers. So meaning you can't even cut them because it's still going to, you can't cut them to save any money. Uh, in fact, I think like the dead cap number on, on Matt Ryan's $49 million. So you'd eat $9 million more. So I don't know where you go, especially with a team that is um, porous as they are defensively. Like, I don't know what, what you're going to move. You're going to have to get rid of some, some mid-level guys, try and save some money that way. But it's, it's going to be a tough, you're going to be stuck with that team the way it is for at least a couple of years. Man, it's just something about that Atlanta Falcons team. No good news coming out of Atlanta. <laughs> um, all right, bro, let's jump into the inbox. Good coverage, by the way. Don't let Thank me you. overlook that. Great Thank you, brother. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, you're welcome. We've got to show off your town a little bit more. It just can't be like, what would you think about week 10? It was just like, we get it, Brandon. we got to keep it medial so you can jump in <laughs> on the air. Your swings. Um, all right, bro. we got four in the inbox. Um, Bueller, the Houston Texans and Rice University announced that they're partnering to offer a new course to students in the college sports management program. Pro sports management designed to teach the business of running a National Football League franchise. Hmm. Would most awesome shell out 6000 bucks for Kamish Jr. to take that class? Yes, I looked it up, and that's how much the class would cost. Six Is grand? That... Six grand, yeah. Oof. At Rice in Houston? Yeah. Oh, uh, considering the considering all the issues that with the Texans are, no, I would not. They've, they famously <laughs> fired their, their PR director for Culture Fit. They have had some weird stuff going on way back when um with their head co- or their owner rather and then obviously you've got the bill o'brien firing and the the shit show of you know trading all those draft picks for a broken david johnson uh it seems like the i i, I would say go there for six grand to learn everything that you possibly shouldn't do 
and then and then and then and then go from there and, and try and learn somewhere else yeah it's like it's like jordan belfort being like for the wolf full wall street i got a stock tip for you let's really right. all the way around it's like yikes right um, right and the last question is madden franchise mode part of the final oh I mean, man oh yeah i think so that'd be interesting i that would be a great like fun little you could do like a, a fantasy draft of all your classmates in there right and see who's the yeah. best team and then and then mab league it if you want hey rice reach out to us mab league we'll let you know how it's done we'll run it for you uh that would be interesting too because i always wanted to do like a league where you had like every team was accounted for that would be yeah. super i mean i haven't played uh i mean i've played Madden in a few years i weirdly Plated over Thanksgiving. This is getting fascinating. All right. Yeah. Next email question. Uh, let's jump into this one. This one has a little to do about what we just talked about coaching. KU football, but uh, at the collegiate level, KU football has spent $23 million for buyouts on their shitty coaching decisions in the last 15 years. Wichita State basketball is about to spend $7 million to get rid of Greg Marshall. Is there no turning back the clocks for schools to recognize the way coaches are paid? Who's to blame for this type of spending money by a state school? The schools, the media, the fans. Hmm. Schools, well, media, a little bit of so fans. so we know there's this thing. We we know that like colleges are a business, and mm-hmm. every dollar they get in, they got to spend because they want to like justify all that. But yeah. it's just kind of um, I don't know what's the what's the domino, what's the cause and effect on this while these these it's so these salaries are so bloated and it seems for not even guys that are proven like locking them in just because they they take a franchise from two wins to 500 one year and now they're just like selling the form well i think i think it's a little born out of the this the 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 a college coach in particular will travel all the time so there's a little bit of like i've climbed the mountaintop and so part of the deal is is i'm probably only going to be here for at most four years or five years just the nature of the the pressure to win now so my safety net my security is a is a large buyout clause you know uh greg marshall for wichita state had seven million dollars as a buyout um now it's interesting to look at how and i guess if we're gonna if we're gonna talk about like who is at fault when you talk about the school are you also putting the alumni under that banner of the the school because a lot of times where a lot of internal pressure and a lot of these salaries come from is the alumni big boosters come in and donate some 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 big dollars and cents um the- yeah, that's good point. yeah. So I would I would even break off alumni into its fourth category because yeah. I think like it's a little cause and effect. Like we said, the domino of the fans like run into the alumni who run into yes. the school. Yeah, and so I would think I I think it starts alumni first, right? If if people bristle, Rich Rod when he was the head coach of Michigan didn't really do a great job with the alumni. Um, was not a Michigan guy and really bristled some feathers uh, early on with some kind of Michigan traditions. And so that put him on the outs with the alumni, which created a very short run, a three-year run for him because Michigan alumni wants like the stereotypical uh, Michigan man. How's that working out for you, fellas? Oh, sorry. Sorry. Um, But yeah, it's one of those things. Like, I think it's, you know, college coaches are going to be, are going to basically earn in what they bring to the school and in and more so they're going to be profitable to these schools so a winning coach nick saban gets nine million bucks in his 
every bit worth that $9 million that he gets because when they win national championship, it's a proven fact tuition and excuse me, enrollment goes up. And what enrollment is like you talked about is dollars and cents. Kids want to go to fucking Alabama because they win national, they win natties. Right. And so alumni then want to spend more money. They can turn out, um, Notre Dame just spent like $40 million on their stadium renovations, a stadium that hasn't been touched since the fucking Rockney era. Well, that's because they finally started to, to that they felt like Brian Kelly is going to be a winner. And he was on the hot seat for a while. They were on the, the verge of losing their CBS deal, which would have been the death knell for the independent Notre Dame uh, schools. But now that they can continually hang around that, that college football playoff, um, he becomes worth their weight because they're getting the revenue that's coming in there. So, you know, the money they spend on these guys is is probably a, a drop in the bucket for what the alumni school revenue uh, enrollment and those things that they can do on their, you know, on their campus. Um, so it's so, the same competitive they got to do this. Just, yeah, to yeah, exactly. And and the, the, the give and take of it is, is like, all right, well, if I have two bad seasons, I might be out on my ass. I might win, you know, a national or come close to the college football playoffs my first or second year. But if I have a couple down years, I might be out. So I want to break off a little bit of a, you know, a safety net and, you know, 7 million bucks to see me go to buy out of my contract, you know, cause you know, there's uh you know, it's a contract. And so I want to have a little, little protection on that back end. All right. Makes sense. Good breakdown, brother. A little nature of the beast. Yeah. You got Alabama winning natties. KU fans slamming natty. <laughs> like that. Good. That's a, that's a beautiful transition. People aren't going to give you enough credit for that one. That's, oh. I love when you hats off it. Um, all right. We're doing Ryan Fitzpatrick, little trivia sent in from email of the year. Oh, and sure. let's call it right now. Emailer of this year, back to back, back to back. Um, banger writes in Ryan Fitzpatrick is first QB to throw a TD for eight different teams. Can most awesome name all eight. All eight of his teams. Yes. Uh, Miami, correct. Buffalo, yes. Tampa Bay, yes. The Jets, yep. That's four. Mm-hmm. Um, fuck, eight teams. Yeah. Jesus. Um. Uh, you say Texans. The Texans? He was the Texans? Okay. Was the Texans. Was, Some was, of these might be surprises. Yeah. Wasn't uh, Cincinnati, though. I can't think. I'm trying to think of that beer. Yeah, Cincinnati. Cincinnati? Cincinnati? Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. And then uh, did you say Tennessee? No, I didn't say Tennessee. Okay. And then um, he started at St. Louis. Oh, the Rams. That's right. Yeah. Very good. That's crazy. Really? That is crazy. Eight eight teams? Jesus. That seems like a lot. Yeah, I guess no he threw a, touch, threw a touchdown on everyone, too. So that's it's even more impressive. Um, all right. And follow-up question. Did he have a better career than Andrew Luck? No. That's silly. That's silly. I don't know why. I don't know why. This feels like shots fired for some reason. I don't, I don't trust that question. I don't know what go, you're up. Go back to uh, uh, Labor Day two years ago for our pod. We break down Andrew Luck in detail. That's one of the pod we were together, bro. Oh yeah, that's a new that. pod. We've only had 
Oh, we've had, yeah, yeah, we had one in each. We had a home and away. Home and away, exactly. That's right, that's right. Well, we had, we also had one, we had one neutral site too, one in New England in the, in the back uh, of the cab. Yeah, that one was, you can see why I don't remember that 100%. <laughs> That was great. That was us in the back of the car, firing up a pod, trying to get the the Uber driver involved. Oh man! Oh man! He was he was in deep waters. It was raining yeah. hard, but he was in deep waters. Started crushing IP. Okay. All right. Oh, amazing time. Get that going again once they allow people in stadiums. All right. Iron Mike. Have you weighed in on the Tyson fight this Saturday? Will people be super disappointed if Roy Jones wins? Okay, I bring this up. Obviously, the fight already happened. Did you watch yes. it? I, I watched I did not watch it. I, I heard a lot online and I saw a little little yeah. highlights of it, uh, if that's what you want to call it. Sure. Yeah, I checked the card. Um, is this a hype machine or because it it came to a draw, yes. so which I think is even more disappointing than a yes. Is are we back to boxing being just this corrupted, like we just gotta find a way to like set up a rematch, or is it just like a hype machine that kind of fell short because these are just two old guys that aren't going to bring you like the level of fighting that you're used to from their career. Yeah, I'm not. I, it seems like a it seems like a hype machine and just like a let's try and find a way for everyone to get paid. The promoters, Roy Jones, Mike Tyson, like two big names. I saw a stat. It was funny. There was like uh, Roy Jones went 40 for 40 in hugs, just trying to tie, <laughs> tie him up like. It just it from everything that I saw and everything that I was reading, it just was not. And it, and you know, also online too, it seems like it's like if it's if it's not so good, then it becomes the worst thing you've ever seen. So you have right, to take yeah. that with a grain of salt as well too. But it, it just seems like a giant cash grab, and and I'm not I'm not interested in these like these like select. You know, it seems like a a trumped up celebrity boxing. Remember when they used to do that? Like that's exactly. Yeah. That's exactly the fight it has to it. Screech Screech would fight like, uh, you know, um, AC Slater and it's like, awesome. all right, you know, you know, Andrew Dice Clay going out there and just like fighting. I was just going to say Bob Saget. Cause I think he said Screech <laughs> and then I just got stuck in the tunnel. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's yeah, one of the, yeah. Yeah. But it's like one of those things. It's like, why do, do we enjoy like, well, it's which way do you want it, right? It's just yeah. like, hey, would it be fun to watch these guys fight? Obviously, it's not going to be Tyson in his prime right. versus, you know, Jones in his prime. So it's either take it for the value of what it is, like something super entertaining, um, like at the end of a, you know, a Thanksgiving weekend, or it can be like, but yeah, no, I was gonna say, were they were they even taking cuts? Like, were they really like swinging for it, or were they just kind of, you know, lightly sparring? Because of the yeah. side, the couple. S- things that i saw was just like tyson was just throwing light body shots you know yeah. yeah exactly so uh i don't know it'll be interesting to see if this is something where they fired back up again for a rematch or you know if it just um was kind of like you said like a lot more of an entertainment vibe and they're like you know we did the hype for everyone got their paychecks like let's move on yeah fighting is not one of those things that we can do like casually you know what i mean i'd like yeah. I'd, I'd much rather see just you know two up-and-coming boxers actually i don't know maybe that that's maybe that maybe that's the reason why they're doing it because there's not there's no interest in like the young guys the young guys fighting you know what i mean yeah exactly and i think that's part of the problem too is like there's not like that the heavyweights don't have those guys anymore right like just the guys that everybody was like obsessed to see and it's yeah just like oh i have i mean deontay wilder and tyson fury were the two big ones that came in there and and it was an okay fight. It wasn't a great fight. I think Tyson Fury is the, the heavyweight champion right now. And, you know, it's like, he's just a big, like, 
Irish guy, you know, who's kind of got uh, a little bit of the gab there, but his window will soon close quickly. And then we'll try and figure out who the next heavyweight fighter is. Um, absolutely. Brock. Yeah. I think they fire it up. Um, maybe we'll do that. We'll just, uh, for map charity, you and I just get in the ring, throw some gloves. So just exactly. Oh man. I just kind of got frightened. You should be. I'm frightened of you, bro. I've seen. (laughs) I saw your your prison routine that quarantine. (laughs) Oh man, that you know that lost a little momentum around. (laughs) Um. All right, crew of flunkies. Got time for one more. Since 1944, only five teams have had winless seasons in the NFL. This 1960 Dallas Cowboys, uh, 11 and one. 76 Tampa Bay Buccaneers, 0 and 14. 82 Baltimore Colts, 0 8 and one. Uh. 2008 Detroit Lions over 16 and the 2017 Cleveland Browns. The Jets are six losses away from joining the group, which would make it three teams in the past 12 years. Why is this more common? I would say that this is. Hmm. Yeah, no, that's interesting. I hadn't really thought about it. Yeah, it's close though, but I think on, I think it's one of those things where you could argue from either way. Cause also let's, if the Jets win a game, then that's kind of evenly distributed. Like if they don't end up going winless. And I think right. What seems to happen just from, you know, obviously I didn't get a check in on the 1960 Dallas Cowboys, nor did I run the highlights back on YouTube to see exactly (laughs) what was going on. But I think it's just um, more teams and more possibilities and then the level. And so that thins out the talent. And then if you just get a bad combo of level of ineptitude like the Cleveland Browns, then that just really gets exposed. Yeah. And Tampa Bay was close either that was their their um, expansion year when they came into the league yeah. or it was like one of the like the second year after that because it was it, they, they that was that orange they had the cool jerseys but they were a terrible team they had no no talent whatsoever on that team um, and really struggled for many many years after that and then obviously the lions was just you know ineptitude um out the wazoo and has never really gotten a, you know past that and the browns same thing with the browns i mean a little bit talking- too and if you script it like I, I think you could also go you know so many things have to go wrong for this yeah. to happen the, the browns like it's not they like they found one quarterback and they're just like this is our guy you know it's just like they kept trying to draft like kept trying to build and then just couldn't quite figure it out right and it all kind of crescendoed in this one moment right it was like it wasn't just one year it was seven or eight years of ineptitude that built into this like perfect moment um same thing with the you know the jets i think you know they they, the jets were were not a great franchise i mean they were starting to build a little something and then they moved on and it's like i think you know it's interesting in this like player empowerment era too to see if guys just like quit on their coaches they're still competitors they still want to win you know what i mean and and uh, yeah, or or for nothing else, if they hate the coach, they still know, you know, in some fashion, they're auditioning to get to that yes. next game. No, I mean, that's the problem with, I mean, I thought it was going to be a problem with Le'Veon, Le'Veon Bell, but obviously it wasn't because, you know, he goes over and lands at Kansas City. But I guess right. it's just those teams that if you walk into a winning franchise, it was like when Randy Moss went over to New England, like you just kind of, you button up and you change your attitude a little bit and you kind of respect the culture. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that's and that's the other thing too is, is I think, you know, none of those teams, I can't, like you said, I can't speak to the, the Cowboys, but I bet you that I bet you Tom Landry came in shortly thereafter or a couple years after that. Um, and then the Tampa Bay really hasn't had a real culture change until Chucky got there. So I would say like the, the institution, the culture that's there 
all of those had probably shit ones or non-existent ones um, that led to that as well too. Perfect, brother. Uh, yeah. Should we do the new balls and showdown? Let's do it. Let's get our book on. Bring us to the jam. So let's leave it alone. Cause we can't see eye to eye. There ain't no good guy. There ain't no bad guy. There's only you and me and we just disagree. Right, bro, we were talking the other day and we were just like, oh, you read? I too am literate. And we were just like, why don't we do just this book thing on Neapolitan? Why are we just always doing movies? Let's kind of show off show off our dorky side a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I don't read, like you said, uh, as much as I should, but we're we're amending that. We're trying to get learned. You yeah. Know, so we can so we can we can talk amongst uh, those intellectuals at, at cocktail parties when those come back and uh, show off our big brains. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, because I was kind of wondering too, like as we're just kind of going through this, uh, Most Awesome and I uh, got a book club going. Got, Ooh, uh, that's right. Yep, got T-Balls on there. Um, but we were kind of thinking maybe it'd be interesting to see how many of the classics that you've had under your belt, because I'm more of a nonfiction guy. I mean, I do have one fiction book on my list, but I mean, that's something always for me because I think what I like I was younger, like middle school or high school, it was like getting through the book. And if it wasn't required reading, like I wasn't touching anything. And sometimes the required reading had a little too much of, let me see that summary on the back of the book. Give, give me book. some, give me some of them cliff notes. <laughs> a cliff note on. Uh, yeah. So what, what do you have just kind of overall looking on yours? Is it an eclectic mix? I do. Yes. Um, I, I, I went only with books I read. I thought that that was probably a given, right? I didn't want to throw out like uh yeah. You know, uh, oh, yeah. I read Kitcher in the Rye. I was just gonna throw out Kitcher in the Rye, but no, I, I've read that. It's been a while. Um, yeah, there could be something that you've seen in the movie, like Great Expectations, but never read the book. And you're just like, man, fucking Gwyneth Paltrow is a smoke show, and that's why I love Great Expectations. <laughs> so, right, right, right. Off on the purpose of this game. Um, so, do you want me to go with my my number three? I have a little eclectic. I have I have two fiction books and one nonfiction book. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Fire us up. Go number three. Uh, I'll go number three. It was actually made into a movie, but I read it first. Uh, I read it in college and definitely like got old emo MA little, little, uh, you know, uh, snowflake vibe going on. No, I should say snowflake. Uh, got, got my feels going on. Perks of being a wallflower. It's an easy, easy read. And it's about, you know, a young guy going through all the angsty moments of being, you know, a freshman in high school and, and transitioning and, uh, you know, kind of getting caught up in his, uh, you know, new friend groups and learning about crushes and, um, uh, uh, oh, uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show and kind of coming to terms with his, you know, sexual identity and kind of learning about that he was sexually abused uh, by his aunt after the fact. Um, had really good, like, songs that were in the book that were part of the book you know a lot, a lot of the cure and some other things like that um it was a really easy like young adult book to read and i don't think the movie was as great i think um shit not right, i just i just pull up the cast real quick i mean emma watson who i know i, I don't know these other dudes that, that are levi what's his name not levi miller uh logan lerman and urza logan. miller urza miller yes yes For ezra ezra miller, ezra, ezra miller. So Logan Lerner, yeah, this is just very like young adult book, you know, um, it was good. It was a, it was a fun, 
not a fun book, but it was an emotional book. And it was like, caught me at that right time. And I remember just like pouring through it. And uh, you didn't think you were going to get any like YA fiction on there, but I did. I got it for you there, B. I'm a man I didn't, of, a man of I many tastes. I love it. I love it. Uh, so I'm going to guess uh, the YA section. So I'm going to pop that with go like 180 on page count. So 180 points is my guess. Ooh, I think, yeah, I think you, you might be a little less on that. I could take it down a little bit. Yeah, that's all right. I'll keep, I'll take the 180. I will do 140. Split the difference. <laughs> um, all right, brother. My number three uh, coming out of the gates is um, I got my book, uh, Freakonomics. Oh, so yeah. This kind of um, hit this in college. And it just kind of, um, it just sent me down a path for the rest of my life where just getting into like econ books is totally fascinating, fascinating to me. And I love it. And I think it even led into what my number one is. It's just kind of like cause and effect, but like, for example, just hitting some of these chapters in this book is, um, uh, so chapter three, why do drug dealers still live with their moms? Ooh. And it's like, um, you know, where have all the criminals gone? Like as a chapter, uh, what makes a perfect parent like it's just it's kind of those are kind of less interesting if i jump into the second one here like it was like the why do drug dealers live with their mom because you would assume that drug dealers would like make a lot of money because they're out there like selling drugs and it's right the books and everything but it breaks down how it like really doesn't like um there's when to rob a bank um like why suicide bombers should get health insurance it's just like interesting out of the box things right and then they just kind of do like a like a cause and effect and just kind of work through it. Oh okay. yeah, yeah. And I and I like and that's not by. Oh, I was gonna say that's not Matt Malcolm. Those are two guys that wrote that, right? Yeah, uh, Levitt and Dubner. Very good. Yeah. Yeah, but they it went on to like all these other books. Like they had a sequel to it. They the name of their actual their uh, third book is Wonder Rob a Bank, and it's just uh, yeah. But led to reading other stuff in it because I just found it interesting. Yeah, it's and and I love those ones where they're like little excerpts, case studies, and it's like, oh, this is fancy. It's a yes, a collection of essays. Yeah, but it's also very good because it's like you you enjoy reading it because it's like, oh, I get like a total cross section of something that I've never been aware of or never thought about, and yep. really like deep dive into it. And like, I don't know how how long they are, maybe twenty thirty pages, but it's like, yeah, this is great. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's like one of those books too, like you can kind of sit it down and it's a good airport book too. You know, you can pop it on a flight, like you're not worried about like finishing that chapter to just kind of have a nice place to end it. All right, uh, my elevator pitch on a scale of one to 10, I'll give it a 6.5. Ooh, 6. I like it. 6.5 to 140. All right, very good, very good. Um, my next book, this is, uh, this is a biography. Uh, it's called Covert. Um, my years infiltrating the mob. It has a little sports tie-in because it's about Bob Delaney, who's an NBA ref now. I actually, I think he is. Yeah, I think he is. Um, but he started out as a New Jersey State trooper. Same way, same kind of era and time as Joe Pistone in, uh, you know, the Donnie Brasco, right? That, yeah. that that guy. So this is a, a real-life accounting of his time as a as a. Um, is a New Jersey state trooper who infiltrates the mob and then like talks all about these stories about, and just gruesome and grim detail about being inside in there and like the stress and the anxiety. And I'll never, there's two, there was like two uh, scenarios where it was like, 
he was going to like meet them and was so anxious about whether he might be killed or tortured or got or that he was he was found out that it's like he literally was having like stress like vomiting and diarrhea like on the drive there like his body was so shaken and then like to then like then just get there and like pull it all in and like play this role and walk in there as if nothing because he's you know he describes like everyone at these tables when they're talking you know to each other and they're everyone is sussing everyone out like no one there's no there's no downtime everyone is like picking up on every little thing or something he said or the way he's acting yeah it was it was a really interesting like look into it and then to see then he became like an nba ref it's like you would think like once he you know downloaded all the info on and, and made all these busts on all these guys that you know he'd be you know they'd be out to the mob would be out to get him and then he becomes an nba ref it's like the most like public you know stage that he could possibly be and everyone knows where he's gonna be it's printed in the goddamn paper and they're probably gambling <laughs> on these games and then he's there and then but it's also very funny too because it's like he talks about like rashid wallace like screaming at him it's like well this is not as there's nothing as bad or as intimidating as you know being you know in front of the mob and so if like guys want to yell at me for making a, a travel call then so be it it, it was yeah. a great little juxtaposition that's great what's it called it's called covert my years of infiltrating the mob um i don't even know how i came about it i think i was trying to get into sports books and i was buying a bunch of sports books and saw it i think it's currently you can get it on amazon but i think it's like four out of five stars on amazon yeah i'm uh getting you're getting 9.8 points at a 10 bro for my interest level on that book uh, there was a there was um there's a book called scorecasting kind of talking about like my freakonomics pass and this is just oh, on yeah. my bracket but uh it just kind of takes that freakonomics like into sports like it breaks down just kind of um which team or which sport has the best home field advantage oh yeah yeah and also like it kind of breaks down it goes into depth about how like uh you should you shouldn't punt you should just go for two every time but it actually like brings the numbers behind it yeah yeah very good all right my number two book um here's my fiction i get um stephen king 11 23 63 this oh, is, which they made into uh, a, a Amazon show, didn't they? I think it was Hulu. Was Hulu yeah. with James Franco, yeah. Yeah, so they actually, uh, the book was better. Yes. Got to throw that out there. It's a buzzword. But uh, yeah, so it's, it's basically the idea of there's this little, uh, it's, there's this teacher in the small town played by James Franco uh, in the show. <laughs> yeah. like In the book, it wasn't James, James Franco. James Franco's in this book. Yeah, <laughs> it's amazing. He plays himself. Um, but it's, it's a portal and you go back in time and you always show up to this same, um, place and time. But basically this, uh, this guy that owns a diner has discovered it. And then he's dying because every time it goes back in time, like he slowly gets sick, but he wants to stop the JFK assassination. And so he pitches to Franco's character, why he has to stop the JFK assassination. Yes. So he decides to go back in this portal and you could stay for years in the portal. And once you pop back out like it's like two minutes have passed here and once you go back in the portal like you go back to like the time that you left it so it's it's nuts because there's like a couple things to where like there's just he has to go back but he spent like a couple years already there and so like he has to start the journey all over again it's it's wild it's good time. It, it is wild yeah the the show was really good it kind of it it definitely i remember dr and mrs the commission and i were like all in on the show and then it like it kind of petered out it wasn't that great i can imagine how good the book 
would be i didn't realize it was even a book i just thought it was a show yeah because it has like the book and i mean stephen king doing it like and it just has time to do all these stories and just kind of the uh just just the choice to get to put it and just like imagining like the time put in it just really feels like a like it's a journey yeah it's interesting and then uh so going on that for those that are interested in, in the jfk assassination there's a guy who is the authority on the conspiracy of jfk jim mars he wrote a book i don't know the name of the book but it's mars with two r's uh, i just watched on youtube you can see it as well too you got to do a little digging but youtube had this like hour and a half like documentary that he did like just basically calling into question and the inconsistencies of the um the final findings of the jfk assassination so really interesting and i love the the fiction blending with the, with the reality that's always fun I like it. Put you're putting on your little conspiracy cap. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I've uh, I got my tinfoil hat. I like it, bro. Um, okay, so this book was, I think, um, what's right here. Waiting for this. I knew exactly how I was going to score it. Eight hundred thirty-one pages. Eight hundred thirty-one points. Ooh. <laughs> Look at that monster. That's a thick-ass book, man. Yeah, I was not fucking around. No That's shit. why when um. Chad actually recommended it to me. And when he first recommended it, I was just like, I don't read a lot of fiction. And that looks like a lot of fiction. That's a lot of fiction. Yeah. Book. Um, sweet. Yeah. So I got my points. Um, number three, number one, who you got? Uh, I'm going to go number one, Brett Easton Ellis, American Psycho. Uh, I know obviously everyone knows the Christian Bale movie. It is a fantastic book. Uh, it's super gory, obviously, but it is a page turner. I love this book. It was a great read. Very fun. Uh, very fun. Jesus. I sound like a fucking psychopath. Be like, Oh, it's a, it's a fucking lighthearted role, you know, read it on a Sunday afternoon. Uh, it was in, up on the couch. It was inspiring. Uh, <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it was again, I think it's as good, if not better than the, the, than the movie. And it's like, it's gripping. It's intense. Uh, I, I thought it was great, and it was the, probably the the last fiction fiction book that I read that I was like couldn't like put it down. You know what I mean? So yeah. um, that's what I'm giving it to that. Uh, Chuck Palinax, or however you say his name, like he does the Fight Club, Palinut yeah. Chuck or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So I read his rant, uh, and it was kind of I'd read any of his other books, but it's just kind of you know you forget like the gore, like how much like a yeah. book will just fucking get into it. It's just like yes. Like, yeah, yeah. because we ain't playing by any nc-17 rules like we do what we want up in these pages do what we want up in these pages doing what we want um sweet brother okay so i will score that um say the movie was 120 minutes long 120 there you go great top slot um shouldn't be a surprise here um Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. Got him yes. Malcolm Gladwell and Blink. We brought it up earlier. Like I just get enthralled with the stuff. And this is the one where he's talking about like the ten thousand hour rule, like which is basically you know if you spend ten thousand hours of doing something, then uh, you'll probably be an expert in it. It just like jumps around and does all the other things. It's um, yeah. If, if you like if you like essays like that, I know uh, mine are a little repetitive but if you like those essays that just kind of stretch the mind like i really think it lays different tracks in your brain on how to think yes. and like how to interpret 
just shit you come across the real world and that's what makes it interesting to me well so the re- the reason why those two books even is scorecasting like you had talked about it's like it opens your mind to different ways of thinking whereas like yes. fiction sometimes you can just read and get just like transported away but these types of books like actually make you put your thinking cap a little bit on be like do i buy this like analytical thought or you know like you said earlier it's like i just hadn't even thought about this so i'm i'm an open slate you know i'm a clean slate rather yeah and then malcolm gladwell uh outliers breaks it down great too because he just talks he talks about like the beatles and how yeah. look at all these people we just think they're like savants or they're naturals or they're just like born with a gift and it's just like lucky them and well you know maybe in another life that could be me but it just breaks down like their their rehearsal habits or like their their painting time and we just see all this time that yeah. actually gets put in that we never see because you know the Beatles coming out they like played at these like whatever little dive bars and it's just by by the time you start doing the math you're just like oh shit there's a lot more quote unquote, people that you consider experts or just like masters of their craft that you'll see there's a lot more time put in and give the benefit of the doubt if you think it's just like, you know, being touched by God or whatever. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a great point because it takes the like, it takes the, like you said, the genius, I don't want to say out of it, but it gives context for how it was born and yeah. doesn't make it seem like it's just this like, and, and- oh, they're just touched by God and just randomly just happened to this person and it just didn't randomly happen to me. Yeah, and credit where credits do, right? I mean, let's let's say like let's say that you and I, because I think it roughly ends up being something like forty hours for ten years. I think it's something close to that. Right. But let's say that you know we get to podcast whatever ten thousand, which would be ten thousand hours of us spending time on it. Like, yeah. and then we do a podcast, and nobody knows that we actually have an MAB Sports podcast, and they're just like, oh man, like you guys are like just naturally gift. I wish I had that naturally gift, like yeah. the natural, and we'd be like let's slow down, slow down the bus real fast. Like we've been like been doing 10,000 of these. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And then, and if you counted Mab after dark, it'd be like 5,000, but yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Um, all right. Way to go, brother. I'm going to give, I think your collection was a little bit more eclectic. So we're going to yes. give the W to most awesome. Oh, I'm nice. a, I'm a, I'm a learned book reader. Look That's at me. Right. You guys do think it's fishy that two of his fiction books had movies made out of them. Shoot us an email at mabsportspodcast <laughs> at email.com. Right. Um, all right. We've got time for Brandon and the Gambling Corner. Bring us to the jam. Kind of, you know, in the shadows of what's going on in the NFL right now, but we do have NCAA men's basketball starting. Just wanted you to look at the odds. This year's nuts. My biggest takeaway right now is, has this been the most unclear we've been about a favorite in, I wouldn't even say recent memory. I would just say memory. Yeah, there was no, like, there's, there's, I mean, the season kind of snuck up on everyone, I feel like, too. Uh, obviously yeah. this is a unique year but yeah this is one of those ones where it's like there's no grand consensus on who the team to beat is this year uh especially with players transitioning no real major i mean we have a good draft class coming in but a lot of the draft talent didn't even go to college this year they're going 
overseas or to the G League. So yeah, it's a, it's an interesting year. Plus, there wasn't a lot of hype for college basketball, um, you know, for you know heading into this year. So yeah, um, yeah there, there, there's no real big consensus on there. So it's like any one of these is like a real crapshoot on who could be the end of the year. We can we've got a little 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 sample size right now to get a little taste. Our beaks wet, but aside from that, it's it's still anyone's game. Yeah, because I would say like usually I feel like there's a four to one. A six to one, worst case scenario, like an eight to one even sounds high going into this season. I mean, just, you know, with, with the one and done, so many of these teams getting NBA prospects and just kind of shooting to the top and our, the best odds you're getting on somebody is Gonzaga at plus 950 and Villanova plus 950. So our two, two favorites are like damn near close 10 to one. Yeah. Which is, I mean, which goes to show what you were saying earlier. It's like the uncertainty on all of it is like, all right, any one of these teams could pay out. Because Gonzaga, we watched them play KU. Uh, they looked really good, and they played Arizona State after – was it Arizona State? Yes. No. Either way. Uh, they played They played uh, two games back-to-back and scored 90-plus points uh beat beat their team pretty handily they looked pretty good but who's to say you know what i mean yeah it was auburn auburn shit Uh, drink everybody i don't care what time it is um all right so we got gonzaga here's the odds right now like i said vanilla vanilla villanova plus 950 (laughs) uh iowa iowa plus a thousand baylor and virginia plus 1100 Kentucky plus 1300, Illinois plus 1500, Duke plus 16, Kansas plus 18, Michigan State plus 18, Wisconsin plus 18. So it's all kind of bunched up there. Like, do you see, like, it normally happens to like a drop off on this list? Where would you put the line in the sand that it was just like, you know, it's eight teams trying to figure out, it's 10 teams? Yeah, I would, I would probably put it, and I think I, I, I wouldn't put Kansas in that level, but I think like, Duke, Michigan State, Wisconsin. That's kind of like is as crazy as it sounds. Like Duke isn't jumping off the page for me. Uh, I think you know Michigan State. We'll see how they how they look. They they lost a couple seniors last year, um, so we'll kind of see if Rocket Watts and Joshua Langford and the Hauser one of the Hauser twins can can play pretty well for them. I just don't I just don't see them, but. Um, so I would kind of draw it in that, but I, w- I wouldn't put Kansas in that group. I would probably, I'd probably slide. I'd probably swap Kentucky and Kansas in that little bottom group that you're talking about. That's fine. I was just, I think you're being mean. Yeah. You're, I think you're not happy with the lions and I think you're taking it out on me, but just like <laughs> taking Kansas out of that. I think it's completely <laughs> unnecessary. No, I'm, I'm putting Kansas. And in quoting there. you a year where we don't know what's going to happen. You just had to say, but you know, I got to get Kansas out of there. You know, I was, I was moving Kansas out of that group of where I'm drawing that line and the bottom drops out. I'm not, I'm saying that I put it, I'm putting it in there. They played villain or they played Gonzaga pretty well. I'm moving them out of that bottom four. If I'm looking at your, your, your Oh God. Okay. So that's the line. Okay. Um, then it looks like a lot of these teams were kind of, you know, at least familiar with or have made some rustlings over the last few years, but we have some people that it kind of snuck up there. Like um, Iowa, what happened in Iowa to get them up now where we're thinking like third? Uh, player of the year candidate, Luke Garza, uh, averaged 24 points last year. Uh, Fran McCaffrey has a good squad to kind of build around them. Um, but they're, they've got one kind of dominant big man, 
uh, Luke Garza, who's going to go for 25 and 10. He scored almost 30 points in his first half of his, I think the third or second game, he was like 13 of 14 shooting. Um, pretty, pretty good squad. I don't know if I'm going to throw a C note on them because I don't know if they've got the the depth or the athletes to kind of carry them through. But I think for a, you know, regular season run, they're going to be very solid. You know, they're going to get, they're going to come up with like a, a high seed, a, a, a two or a three seed, possibly even a one, depending on if they, you know, how well they play. But the, the Big Ten's loaded this year. Yeah, that's a, that brings my next team, team um, Illinois, on this list that finished number 22 overall. And right now, just uh, this is preseason rankings, but right now in the odds, they rank number seven. Yes. So I really like this Illinois team. I think this team actually has a real final four bid because they've got uh, two NBA prospects. Kofi Cockburn, who's a big center from Jamaica, seven-footer from New York. Um, is really athletic and run the floor, big, big guy. And they have, uh, I'm going to pronounce his last name wrong, wrong so everyone drank, but AU, uh, starts with the Dusman, uh, a guard, super athletic, tested the waters last year, came back. Um, they've been lighting people up this this year in their first three games. I mean, they've been cruising. Brad Underwood has a good a good squad. Adam Miller, they, they had an incoming freshman who had like, 28 points on his uh, first game in. They can shoot the ball. So I like the inside-outside combo. I like the big guy. I also like the strong guard play for them and a, a team that's definitely going to play hard every night from Brad and Underwood. Um, so I like them as a Final Four team. I, I really like this Illinois team. Okay, so it's way too early, and we know it is, but we got to do it. We wouldn't be doing our job as podcasters if we didn't make a call. You got to lay some Mav dollars on somebody. Who are you going with? I mean, I would at, at, at 9.50, at plus 9.50, at nearly 10 to 1. I got to throw it on the Zags right now. Um, Jalen Suggs looked really good. They've got shooters in Kisbert uh, or Kispert and then uh, uh, Tim, Timmy. Uh, so I, I would look to them. I think also, too, it could be just Mark Few's year this year and a weird year where he's just been hanging around. I think it's a, a great opportunity for them to kind of run through the WCC, get a high seed, and then, you know, roll through the tournament, which they're going to do bubble style, I believe, in Indianapolis this year. Yeah, so it'll be good. So I'll go ahead and uh, I'll throw mine on Kansas, Rock Chalk Jayhawks. Seems like we got a championship lifted from us last year. I know it was like out of everybody's control, but going to cook with gas. But I still think in, you know, this tournament style where a lot of things changing, um, Bill Self, one of the best coaches in the country, being able to yeah. get his focus up because he's been there before and even in no environment like knows how to get him focused up on what's important um all right buddy well i think if we learned anything from this list and the odds right now this tournament i mean knock on wood we get there and everybody's got it done right but is going to be absolute maybe one of the most chaotic ones we've seen yeah it's gonna be weird i mean you could nothing would surprise me like you know Creighton. like a 10, 10 seed yeah like exactly like Creighton's a good team this year or Tennessee is a good year team this year. It's like, Oh, these are not guys that I typically assign to national championship status, but it's like any one of those teams could have equally as good of a shot. I guess uh, it's been MAB sports podcast episode 144 guys. I want to remind you that Mad leak yes. still kicking off draft coming up. We have five slots. that are still available. It is Mabby hour rules. Simply just take, 
a shot of you getting someone to sign up for the MAB Sports Podcast, and then you will get your spot. And we basically just drop from the top 100 plays of all time. Uh, most awesome. I still talking. Going to see if we're going to tweak a little anything, but it's uh, playing. Yeah, playing play some fun rules, some, some tweaks on it. We'll let you know. But either way, yeah, get a friend to subscribe, and you can get your spot in Mad League. Yeah, if you talked to anybody last year, it was so fun streaming those games and watching them. It was absolute like asking where they played it. It was it was a really good time. Um, all right, brother, MVP last of the week. year. Last year it was like it was five months ago we did it. It was during oh the God. summer. <laughs> I guess the last year the league we ever figured out a number of these things. All right, um, MVP of the week for me. I got um, turkey stuffing and mashed potatoes. My three vips. Yeah, that's Figure a good out. combo right there. Stuffing Love. and mashed potatoes. Mixing oh, yeah. it all up into one gigantic, delicious bowl. Oh, yeah. I love oh. it. Uh, I'm going to go with Buffalo Bulls, the collegiate football team. They're running back Jarrett wow. Patterson, little 5'9 guy, ran for 409 and eight touchdowns on Friday. That's the record, right? They tied a touchdown tied record. Yeah. yeah. Eight TDs. I think that's a Barry Sanders record. <sighs> Awesome. Well, uh, guys, thanks so much for listening. Like I said, shoot us an email at mabsportspodcast at gmail.com. Hope everyone's holiday is going well. Talk to you soon. I'm Brandana. Why don't you sign yourself off? Most awesome. My favorite line from American Psycho is when the chick asks him what he does, and he says, Mabbers and prosecutions. <laughs> Beautiful, brah. Oh, good. Runway, style, fame, she likes fashion. Oh.